If you found out that your doctor didn't believe that you had organs or bones, you would probably stop going to them pretty quickly. Why then do we go to a doctor to treat our mental and emotional health if they don't believe that we have a soul? Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of their lives so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, we're going to continue our discussion about psychology. As you may recall from the previous episode, my goal is not to say that psychology is this wicked, evil thing and anyone who uses psychology should feel bad, but instead to point out the fact that while psychology can have some good to it, while it has had success in people's lives, and while there can even be some element of value to it, what I really want to ask is, is this the best for Christians. Not can we make psychology work with Christianity, but genuinely asking, does psychology actually have room in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ? And again, I would remind you that for all the legal stuff, I am not a doctor. I am not giving medical advice. I am simply discussing questions from a Christian worldview. And today, what we're going to be discussing ultimately is assumptions and conclusions. We're going to be talking about how psychology views people. In other words, what they assume about human nature or the the constitution of man, if you will, what we're made of. From there, we're going to look at, because of what they believe, that will affect how they interpret data and information. And of course, that has to necessarily inform how a psychologist will treat somebody after giving a diagnosis or an interpretation of someone's problems and symptoms. And so this is going to ultimately, throughout this whole series, just expand the discussion from episode to episode. So last episode, just as a quick reminder, we talked about the goal of psychology, which is to help people, but they do it based on a certain worldview of naturalism, where it, which means that everything, our emotions, our thoughts, all of life can be boiled down to the basic elements of the world. And so today, again, we're just going to expand that and look a little more deeply into what it is that psychology as a science and psychologists, those who put it into practice, what they believe about us and how that necessarily has to impact what they understand, what they believe, and then how they go about treating it. And we're going to talk about kind of the three aspects of that. So the the assumptions they make, how they interpret that data, and the solutions they offer. And throughout this, so that it's not super dry and and scientific, uh, we're just going to talk through a very basic case study alongside these to help us understand how a psychologist might work with somebody. Uh, So in this case, we're going to also imagine that we have a parent who is seeing a psychologist because they're constantly angry at their kids. They're constantly yelling. They're always unhappy about their kids and they want to stop. So first, let's talk about uh, number one, the science of psychology. Now, this is before, you know, we are actually in the office, but just psychology in general, what people study, the perspective that books and things are written from. What do they assume about the very basic foundations of human life. Well, obviously, as with all modern science, they assume that the natural world is the only world. 
In other words, everything that exists is based on essentially the elements on that scientists have discovered. Everything can be boiled down to just a molecular level, and everything that happens can be explained through purely natural means. There is no spiritual world, there's no angels, there's no even soul in a human being. And so even those things that are, we would say, intangible, in other words, you can't see it in a microscope, you can't pick it up, you can't touch it, you can't eat it, you know, those intangible things like our emotions, our thoughts, why we experience things how we do, our personality, all of that, even though we can't scientifically test it from a naturalist point of view, all of that can also be explained by purely physical means. So your thoughts, your emotions, your personality really boils down to the stuff going on inside your brain, your chemical reactions, your electrical impulses. It can even be how your upbringing has crafted you to view things in such a way. In other words, can, uh, your natural conditioning, your training throughout life so that if you get angry, it can be because of something natural in your brain. It can be because of how you were raised. Maybe you grew up in an angry household. Maybe the media and things or the friends that you were around with, maybe that has led to you reacting angrily to situations. Uh, the same thing for someone who is peaceful or who is loving or who works too hard or who has a drug addiction. All of these things can be traced to purely natural means. And so whatever it is that you experience, your thoughts, your feelings, it is all rooted in a very natural explanation. It's not because of your soul. It's not because even you're necessarily evil or bad for the things that you think or desire or do. It's just that your thoughts, your actions are not compatible with a the society or the culture that you're in. And therefore, they are seen as bad or negative because they are either harming you or they go against what your society has deemed as appropriate. And so with our case study, with this parent struggling with anger, they would simply start with the basic understanding that if a parent is getting angry with their children, it is because they are reacting in a natural way. It's either there is something chemically going on, it is because of their upbringing. There is something happening. There is, there is something about their behavior and their actions that we can explain and we can tie to just the natural world. And so as we are going to be moving on, we would be looking at this parent's problems, not in terms of, you know, they are sinful or they are evil or, you know, this is coming from some outside intangible spiritual issue, but simply... It's a natural thing with natural explanations and therefore a natural solution. Now, after a psychologist starts with the basic science, you know, before they even see a patient, they're already making assumptions about what they're made of and that they are all purely natural and that everything can be understood, explained and viewed naturalistically. Now we're going to get to the second part of what a psychologist does, and that is that they are going to interpret the data that they see. In other words, they're going to filter what they're experiencing, what a patient is telling them or what they're observing, and they're going to filter it through a worldview. And remember, a worldview is ultimately 
well, how you view the world, to put it simply, but really it is what you believe is true and not true. And therefore, when you encounter anything in life, you hold it up against what you believe about everything to choose what to accept, choose what to reject, and to help you understand and interpret what it is that you're experiencing so that it makes sense and is consistent with your belief system. And so again, based on what psychology and psychologists start with, right, that number one, those assumptions, they're now going to start interpreting. And I've had a fairly long discussion on this, um, and I can can link that down below, but I have um, an article and a podcast episode on science and the Bible, and we talked a lot about this, and how you have science and you have scientists. And the reality is that science and even psychology is about looking at data. It's about trying to basically just measure, you know, what is happening? What is someone experiencing? What can I observe? But then it is the role of the human being to interpret what is happening. So a scientist looks at data and then they interpret why something is happening. And a psychologist is going to do the same thing. They're going to observe someone's thoughts, their behaviors, their their behavior patterns, things like that. And they're going to use their worldview, their understanding, their basic assumptions about reality to interpret and tell us why someone is experiencing these things, why they feel this way. And ultimately, one of the the things that people love about psychology is that it helps someone identify why they are the way they are. And all of this is done not through hard data, but an interpretation of data. So someone who is depressed a science or a psychologist is going to interpret for them based on their naturalistic beliefs why they're depressed or anxious or why they self-harm or why they work too hard or don't desire to work or why they are for our case getting angry at their kids and the the thing that we need to really understand especially about psychology is that it is not an absolute thing because psychology deals with things that are not truly testable. It has to simply look at things and analyze things and take large sets of data and information based on a lot of interviews and things like that from other human beings and try to find a commonality to understand and explain what is happening. But all the psychology is essentially based on assumptions and interpretation that says we see that you know these kinds of people or these groups of people experience this, how can we explain what they're experiencing? How can we explain why they are the way they are? But this is a thing that, like I talked about last episode, it's a constant moving target. Uh, Psychologists will use what is called the, the DSM, basically manual, to help explain human behavior. And we are currently on our fifth edition of it. And why that keeps updating is that as psychologists keep analyzing data and interpreting things and filtering it through their worldview, they are either discovering things or they are changing what they thought was true. Now, let me just give you a, a relevant example of this. So with the DSM-4, so the previous edition, it had something in it called gender identity disorder. In other words, someone would be mentally unwell and think that although they were biologically male, they would 
feel, they would believe that they were truly female. They were a woman trapped in a man's body, if you will, or vice versa. They were a man trapped in a woman's body and they would desire to, to act out as the gender that they felt they were, even though it was opposite of what they biologically were. Now, with the DSM-5, that is no longer considered a disorder. It's still in there, but now it's called a term that we are all familiar with today, I assume, gender dysphoria, where it's not a mental health issue. You are not broken. You are not damaged for feeling that way. Gender dysphoria simply explains here is what a person is experiencing. Now, what happened here? Well, they removed the negative attachment of the term disorder because a disorder is implies that someone has a, a something that is not properly aligned. There is a problem. And so DSM four would say that someone was mentally unwell. They were, they were experiencing a disorder in their mind that needed to be fixed. Well, that started, that wasn't culturally relevant. That wasn't tolerant that wasn't maybe loving and so with the dsm-5 they have now said that's not a problem it's not something that needs to be fixed now we call it gender dysphoria to simply explain what a person is feeling and this is now consistent with a more progressive worldview and so the goal then of gender dysphoria versus gender identity disorder is with the disorder you would try to snap them back to reality and get them to accept that they are the gender that they are whereas with gender dysphoria you try to help them cope with how they feel help them accept who they are or even help them to transition into the gender that they believe they are whether through their actions, how they dress, or maybe even through surgery and helping them through that so that they can achieve the results they want of being happy with their lives. So all of this boils down to simply explaining the data that they are encountering. So a psychologist will take what they see, they'll run it through their filter of naturalism. And as we see with something like gender dysphoria, it will this worldview will change and shift along with the culture to be more tolerant of what is more acceptable. And they will make sure that they are viewing and explaining their data in a way that is consistent with their worldview. Again, keeping in mind, this is not a hard science, but instead it is a science that is informed by culture and modern beliefs. And so whatever diagnosis a psychologist gives you, whatever they say is wrong with you or help you explain why you're feeling what you're feeling, ultimately it boils down to them saying, because you are a natural creature living in the modern context that we're in, we're going to explain it in a way that is just very consistent with our culture. So let's take our case study of the parent yelling at their child. The... Interpretations for this are going to be varied, but remember, everything that this parent is experiencing is because they are natural creatures, and so we need to figure out why is this natural creature experiencing things because of natural causes that results in them yelling at their children. And so the explanations can be varied. Again, maybe it was their upbringing. Maybe they lack impulse control, whether it is because they emotionally lack it because they don't know how to, to modify their behavior properly, or maybe it's because biologically they are missing something in their brain, in their chemistry, that allows them to 
exercise self-control. Maybe they just have poor coping skills so that when things like stress come up or things are not going how they want, or maybe there's external factors, something happening outside their kids, whether it's their work, their marriage, things like that, they don't know how to process it properly. And so they act out based on what they've always been trained to do. And so they are maybe untrained at responding properly to stress or anger, things like that. Or it could be any other biological problems, some form of chemical imbalance that is causing them to simply be this way. But whatever this parent is doing, ultimately they aren't bad because of it. They aren't doing it because they are bad people. They are just doing a bad thing. And so we are going to see that the problem is simply poor training, poor understanding, or poor biology that is leading to them yelling at their children. So, uh, number three, so after we have started with some basic assumptions about what people are made of, we then run that through our worldview to get an interpretation, an explanation of why people experience what they experience. Now we get to the third part of what psychology attempts to do, and that is to offer a solution or a treatment plan. But again, this has to be rooted in naturalism. And so what a psychologist ultimately is tied to doing is teaching people and equipping them to respond to a natural world as natural creatures. And this can take a few different um, tactics. So a lot of times, especially with modern psychology, you will have some form of training or behavior modification. Uh, this is, as I said, part of cognitive behavioral therapy where you are teaching people when they encounter something that instead of thinking it like this and therefore responding like this, we want to think of it like a different way so that we can respond a different way. And so there will be a lot of efforts of essentially training and conditioning someone to override their natural inclinations and instead to adopt or choose new inclinations, new ways of behaving and responding to different stimuli or situations and things around them. Um, another thing that they will do is to try to confront, confront past trauma that affects their thought patterns, their pathways, and things like that. So they will look at what happened to you in the past. Let's talk about your parents, your, your school, your upbringing, things like that. You know, what has happened in the past that has essentially trained you to be a natural creature who responds to stress to whatever in this way and so you get anxious maybe because you're poorly trained but also maybe because historically your parent was always very high pressure on you and that taught you to be anxious or you've had a lot of bad things happen to you and so you're constantly waiting for a new bad thing to come up they will you know explain things to you because because of your personality type or you know, any number of things, you know, whatever it is that their interpretation says, they'll then say, because of that, we now need to talk through things to confront your past issues and ultimately even to accept your, your issues. So to accept and embrace who you are, to love yourself more, to stop, you know, trying to fight who you naturally are and instead love yourself, embrace yourself, accept who you are, who other people are and things like that. 
And again, this can, there, there's obviously so many reasons that people will see a psychologist that what they need to train them in or the past traumas that they need to confront are going to vary so wildly. But ultimately, it's going to come down to natural explanations and therefore natural solutions, right? Either you need to train yourself like you would train a dog or a tiger to do to behave differently. And if you can behave differently, then you're fixed because as a natural creature, your biggest problem is how you act, how you think. Or you just confront past traumas to be able to accept how things are now and therefore be able to grow, usually growing in a way that modifies your behavior. Uh, but a third thing that can be a solution is simply medication. And again, psychologists don't do this directly. They will work with a, a medical doctor or a psychiatrist who is trained and authorized to prescribe medication, but they will work with them to help support their patient emotionally and mentally while this medicine does its job. And now, one thing that is is very important to note, and again, I'm, I'm coming at this not just from a high-minded, cold view on psychology, but understanding that this is something that Christians go through and experience. And so one thing I want to point out, because there's not a, a perfect time in this to point it out. So from my own experience and from talking to Christians, a lot of times someone will go to a doctor or a psychologist and based on symptoms, based on what you're experiencing, a trained medical professional will tell you, you have a biological problem. You have chemical imbalances in your brain, or you don't produce enough serotonin or something like that. But you have a medical problem that we need to treat medicinally. We need to treat it medically because it's a medical problem. Now, here is the huge issue with that. A lot of people, they'll find great comfort and say, oh, it's just my biology. I can understand all this because it's not my fault. It's just how my brain is wired. And some people will even find their identity in this and say, oh, I'm just, I'm just someone with a brain that doesn't work. And there's a, a strange sense of pride or bragginess or feeling better about yourself because you're unique or different. But here's the reality. I have not experienced anyone, and I've, I've talked to several people, and again, my own experience, I have not met anyone who says, yes, I have a chemical imbalance in my brain, and that is why I get depressed, or that's why I'm anxious. And I'll ask them, have you been tested? Has a doctor actually shown you and proven to you that you genuinely have a medical imbalance that needs to be treated naturally? And nobody that I have ever met has ever said, yes, I have actually been medically tested for a medical condition. Instead, what always happens, whether it's a family doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, they will listen to what you are experiencing and tell you, based on your symptoms, what is physically wrong with you. Now, really think about this. They are saying that there is something that is actually provably wrong. Like they could look into your head, do tests and tell you that something is wrong with you. Now let's take this with another medical diagnosis. If you go to a doctor and you tell them, Hey, I've been having really bad migraines and they say, Oh, you've got brain cancer. Let's start you on chemo. You're going to, you're going to hit the brakes really quick, right? Because you're not going to say, Whoa, Whoa, you haven't looked at anything. You haven't done any tests. You're just telling me that I have something physically wrong with me based on what I'm telling you. 
Now we would not accept that with cancer, but millions of people accept that with things like depression. They will just tell a doctor how they feel and accept that a doctor is going to say, oh, well, it's just your chemicals and just, just go on and take medication and just assume that nothing they can be done outside of hoping that their medicine fixes them. It's a huge problem. So again, that's not the huge, the, the, the primary point of this episode, but I really want to say out there that for people who feel like they are locked in, that they are a victim of their biology because they have chemical imbalances in their brains. If you haven't been tested, then you're accepting that you have cancer without a single scan or test being done. But anyway, moving on from that. So again, these solutions are all based in naturalism. So they will, they start with the foundation, they start with a natural interpretation, and therefore they have to go to a natural solution, a natural remedy. It'll be through training, it'll be through confronting past trauma, or it will be through medication. Now, let's take our parent again as this case study. So we know that our parent is a natural creature. We interpret a variety of things through a lot of questions, a lot of analysis, you know, several hours worth of work are going to go in before we're going to maybe comfortably diagnose what their problem is. But based on our interpretation of why they are yelling at their children, we are going to treat them naturalistically. We're going to teach them some training or behavior modification because we just want them to stop yelling at their kids. Even if they want to yell at their kids, we're going to train them not to. We will go through a lot of talk therapy and maybe soothe them and help them confront other issues that are coming up. We might have them try to change their environment, whether it's their where they are having issues with their kids, whether it's their job, things like that, a, you know, if their environment is contributing to it, if the environment can be changed, let's try to change that. Maybe we'll just teach them acceptance, you know, because of an abusive upbringing or stress or trauma, this is just how they react. And so we're going to keep working with them to find better solutions, but ultimately they need to accept that they really just can't help themselves. Or we might send them off to a psychiatrist or a medical doctor to try to get some form of medication that can help them feel a sense of calm, a sense of peace, maybe less stress and things like that. <clears throat> and we'll work alongside this, this uh, medical doctor in order to be a support system for this patient's emotions and mental health while they are being you know, biologically helped by a doctor. But ultimately, everything we're going to do is we're going to find the natural issues that are causing it and therefore find natural solutions to respond to them. Now, up to this point, maybe, again, this doesn't sound all bad. You know, of course, it's our past trauma. Of course, we just need to learn to behave better. Of course, we need to perhaps take medication to help us have better control over things that we can't otherwise control. But here's the big problem. Here's the big turn in this episode. Within these three steps, our assumptions, our interpretations, and our solutions, where can we insert God into this as Christians? Assuming that we believe that we are spiritual creatures and therefore we have a spiritual component and that we need to place our full reliance on Jesus Christ and that every good thing comes from God. And therefore we need to turn to God when we're having issues. 
where does God fit into the psychology model here? Because we have science, interpretation, and solutions all based on naturalism, and yet we know that we worship a God who is spirit. Now, a lot of people might say, oh, well, we just need to assume that we are spiritual creatures, natural and spiritual, and therefore that's step one, you know, the science or the assumptions is where we need to insert God. But we can't, because if we assume that that human beings are equally natural and spiritual creatures, not just mostly natural with a little bit of spiritualness to them, but instead they are the physical as as important as the spiritual, then if, if we start with that assumption in step one, that is going to completely change how we interpret things in step two. And psychology will completely fall apart because all of psychology's interpretations are based on naturalism. Now, likewise, we also can't start by saying, oh, well, humans are completely natural creatures, but we will interpret and diagnose them spiritually. We also can't do that because it is completely against our base assumptions. And so whenever Christians are using psychology, the biggest problem that they're running into is that they are starting with a foundation in a science that is natural. They take interpretations that have to be natural because of the of the science behind it, because of the diagnostic tools used. It's all based on naturalism, so it's going to interpret things with naturalism. And so whenever Christians try to add God to the mix, they do it in step three, which is the solution. Now, maybe on the surface, that doesn't sound so bad. Oh, well, yes, I see all these problems naturally, but God can help me spiritually. But here's what we have to have to accept and acknowledge and realize is that if we add God only in step three, what can the Bible really do for us? I'm going to argue that the best thing that we can use God for if we are letting psychology diagnose what's wrong with us is that at best, the Bible is just going to soothe our natural problems. Now, what that actually looks like, we'll actually get into in the next episode. But ultimately, what's going to end up happening is that the Bible and God and Jesus Christ the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, they are all going to take a backseat to psychology and they will basically be there to support what psychology is doing. They're going to be an extra uh, benefit to the treatment of a naturalistic version of viewing human beings and understanding their problems and then treating them. And that's because psychology itself, it's already built on a false worldview. And that worldview is going to affect conclusions. So if naturalism does not have room for God in it. It is, in a a way, anti-God. Not that it exists to hate God, but it simply says God doesn't exist, so we're not going to consider him in anything we do. Then the assumptions that we make are also going to be anti-God because if there's no room for God in what we believe about the world, there's going to be no room for God in how we interpret things that are happening in the world. And with psychology, that means that there is no room for God in how we explain human thought, emotions, and behavior. And that, that necessarily means that as we are trying to find solutions to these problems where God is not present, these solutions also cannot have God in them. And even, even Christian psychology or Christians who take psychology and try to add spirituality to it, you are trying to just force God into the last part 
of a worldview process where God was not at all considered. You just, you can't do it. You really can't. And as Christians, this should bother us because we need to consider what the Christian worldview is. Now, again, I'll dig deeper into this in a future episode. This is this episode is ultimately about how psychologists view us, interpret us, and then give us solutions. It's all based on naturalism. But I want us to really start considering the fact that as Christians, we don't live in a naturalistic world. We know we don't. Not just because we're Christians, but as Christians, we understand that even atheistic secular psychologists are spiritual creatures living in a world made by a God who is spirit. And we know that. I mean, John 4, 24 says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we know that God is not just a physical being who created a physical universe. He is a spiritual being who has created humans who are both physical and spiritual. And if you maybe aren't on board with that, I've got, once again, a whole podcast and blog series that talks about our body, soul, and spirit and how they work together. And I will link that down in the show notes as well if you are not familiar with that. But ultimately, that proves, if we believe what God's Word says, that human beings are physical and spiritual creatures. And that not only that, but our natural and spiritual selves are linked. They aren't separate things where we experience things physically, but our spiritual side is not at all affected, or that our spiritual side can experience things and our physical isn't affected. And in that series, one of the things I point out is that when you are hungry or sleepy, you know, just really tired and exhausted, it affects your spiritual self. I mean, think about the term hangry, right? You're hungry and so you get angry. Or when you're really tired, you have a very short fuse and you are much more likely to sin against people in your lack of gentleness or even your anger. And that's all because of what is happening to us physically. And likewise, when we experience sorrow or happiness or even joy, our bodies are physically affected. There is a biological response to something that's happening spiritually inside of us. And so as Christians, that is the worldview that we are starting with. That is the assumption that we are making. We assume we are both physical and spiritual creatures and that they each have an impact on the other. Our spiritual self affects not just our physical health, but our physical actions. And the things that we do physically are going to impact the spiritual side of us. And because of that, we are incompatible with psychology. Because psychology, again, prioritizes only the physical. It assumes only the physical exists, and therefore, they ignore the our entire spiritual component. And so even if you have someone and you say, oh, well, my psychologist is a Christian psychologist, or I'm a Christian using psychology, I'm going to be honest and say that your personal beliefs or your psychologist's personal beliefs don't matter. Because you can't change the core assumptions of the science of psychology. And you can't change how those core assumptions and that naturalistic worldview affects all these interpretations and diagnoses found in things like the DSM-5 manual that psychologists use to explain why you are the way you are. It doesn't matter how you want to put God and maybe even try to squeeze in the Bible in step three of treating the problems because you're already assuming that the problems are rooted in a natural world and have purely natural causes. 
And so when our assumptions and our interpretations don't have room for God, then when it comes to our solution, we put God under the authority of a naturalistic, secular psychology. Because it starts with man's assumptions about the, the, the world as our primary means of understanding truth. And then we start we use man's worldview and secular understanding of the world to explain why things are happening. And so then when we finally decide to add God into the mix, God is coming in and saying, okay, God, you need to help me with things that can only be explained because of my chemicals or my uh, poor training and behavior or my upbringing. Things that are not my fault. It has nothing to do with my decisions, my sin. That doesn't have room for it. I just need you to help me feel better, help me to focus better and to change my behavior. And so God has to help out psychology. God has to be under the authority and under the oversight of psychology. And he can only exist insofar as he is contributing to what psychology says we need. So there's no room for our sin nature and there is no focus on our soul. And so if we have a God who is spirit and in his word, we see the reality that we are spiritual creatures with spiritual sin issues. If we are completely ignoring that, what do we have left except for a God who is essentially just really nice mood music or a form of meditation that makes us feel better or inspirational quotes like we can see from Gandhi or from anyone. It's just that we use Bible verses in the same way as we might use inspirational quotes. This is the reality of a naturalistic psychology. Psychology starts with the assumption that we are natural and everything that comes from that is rooted in naturalism. It is purely secular. And this is why I said at the the very first episode, a lot of people are going to be bothered by this because this threatens everything about a lot of people's identities, everything that they've understood about themselves. Maybe even for decades, people have always assumed this is how I am and I can't help it. And to see that our assumptions, the things that we believe about ourselves, and even the things that have dictated how we live our lives, how we talk to others, what we do and don't do, all of it is based on a secular assumption, on a worldview that it already hates God. That threatens a lot about what we understand about ourselves as truth. But again, my goal here isn't to just beat up psychology. It's not to beat up people for using psychology. It's to point out the the deep weaknesses that are present and inherent in psychology and why, while it can help, while it can make people feel better now, it doesn't offer the solutions that we truly need. It can be good, but it is far away from being the best. And as this episode has started to help us reveal, it's not just that we need to use psychology with Christianity, but that the, the core psychology is essentially rotten. It starts with a foundation that doesn't believe in God, and therefore everything that comes out of that also does not have room for God. And if we don't want God to just be under the authority of secular reasoning, of human wisdom, if we don't want God to just be a side participant, you know, a a brief guest in our story of recovery, then we have to really ask, can God truly be our primary source of satisfaction, of joy, of even salvation, if we are only allowing him to work in ways that are in line with our secular interpretation of what we're experiencing.
And this episode has started to answer that question is no. And we'll get into that more next time. But for now, uh, just to wrap this up, in episode one, we talked about the goal of psychology. In this episode, we talked about how psychology interprets information and gives us solutions, all of it rooted in a secular worldview because it has nothing to do with God. If what's wrong with us it has nothing to do with God, then what we need has nothing to do with God. Now, as you kind of wind down this episode and hopefully are looking forward to the next one, um, again, I'd like to give you just a little bit of homework or a little something to consider and think about at the end of this episode. Number one, I would encourage you, if you have not yet, to listen to my series on the body, soul, and spirit. It is very long. It will tide you over until the next episode. But if you are not sure if we are truly spiritual beings or if you know that we are, but you aren't really sure how much one affects the other, I would highly recommend that series. And then in terms of using this episode, I want you to uh, just start thinking with this discussion on how, you know, if you've, if you've been given some kind of diagnosis, whether through a professional or whether you've self-diagnosed something about yourself, are you starting to rethink what you assumed about yourself? A diagnosis, an explanation for your behavior or thoughts that you once trusted in has probably been threatened and challenged from this episode. So do you think that it's necessary to rethink that? And if so, what are you going to do about that? How else can you explain these things if what psychology has told you is wrong? So just think about that. Consider the things that have been said and explained in this episode. And don't despair. Don't give up hope. And don't feel like everything means nothing and you should just give up. Because as the series continues, we're going to start seeing that, again, while psychology is good... There's a much better explanation out there for us, and one that doesn't just make us feel better now, but will give us ultimate joy, hope, and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And make sure you come back for the next episode, where we will talk about what psychology promises to save us from, and if that's what we truly need to be saved from. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 